Next on Contemplate. He's saying, listen, this is serious stuff. You got to be real to do this thing. And people are coming in multitudes. And we're saying, no, the bar's down here. Just all you have to do is learn a couple songs to sing on Sunday. And don't worry if you, you know, are really very involved and come kind of when you want to. And the church is dying. Despite persecution, the early church grew tremendously. And there's some important lessons there for us today. We'll be in Acts chapter 5, so please get out your Bible. And here's Pastor David with today's episode, recorded live at Acts Church. So we're in Acts, okay? We've been in Acts for a long time. Hey, we're going to be in Acts for a long time. It's a long book. There's a lot to go through. And we are in the fifth chapter, but I wanted to do a quick recap Um, My coffee recap, we'll go as fast as we can here. Basically, Jesus comes at the very beginning of the book. As he's leaving, he tells the disciples he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. And then at Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit descend upon the disciples, Um, his apostles. There's 120 of them. The power of the Holy Spirit comes. They speak in other languages. The church grows by 3,000 people in one day. We see the church begin on that day. So it goes from 120 people to 3,120 people because of the power of the Holy Spirit that we see. Then we see kind of a long story where Peter and John go to the temple and a man gets healed through the power of the Holy Spirit. They get this opportunity to preach to the people because of this healing. Everybody wants to know what happened. As they do that, the church grows from 3,000 to 5,000. On that day, it gets up to 5,000 people. And then they get arrested by the leadership of the Jews, the great Sanhedrin. They get arrested, they get put in jail, they get brought before the great Sanhedrin, they get an opportunity to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus rose again to those people who did not like Jesus and who did not like them, but they couldn't say anything to them because the power of the Holy Spirit was clearly with them and they knew it and they had nothing they could say against it, so they had to let them go. Then we see them coming back to the church and the church praying, asking God not to take away this new persecution that had come, but to give them boldness in that persecution. So we had this persecution from the outside of the church that we see. Then the next story that we talked about was Ananias and Sapphira. And we see this persecution, or not persecution, but this trouble from the inside of the church. We have Ananias and Sapphira acting like hypocrites, and they both died. They both were killed, basically. Um, Not by the church, but by the Holy Spirit. They both dropped dead because of their hypocrisy and their lying. People are getting really quiet, like, what's he going to do? That's what happened, okay? And so we saw that happen. After each one of these stories, we have basically a summary statement. A summary statement that happens. It basically says, here's what the church was doing. Here's how the church was operating. Here's what they were doing in the community. Here's what they were doing with one another. Here's the things they were concentrating on. So after Pentecost, we see this one where it says, hey, the church is getting together. They're of one accord. They're moving in the same direction. They're, they're listening to the apostles teaching. They're breaking bread together. They're taking communion together. Right? They're going to the temple every day. They're meeting house to house. We see all that. And we see after uh, Peter and John get arrested and they get to preach and whatever, we see as they get released and pray for power, then we see another summary statement that's similar. Talks about what's going on again. The people are giving up their stuff. They're selling their property, making sure that everybody in the church is cared for. Um, they're continuing to do the same things that they were doing in the, in the second chapter of Acts. That's continuing. And then we see here after this Ananias and Sapphira story, we come to this third summary statement 
that is made about the church, what's going on, okay? And, and in all of these, we don't know exactly how much time passes between, say, Pentecost and the time Peter and John went to the temple, or between that time and the time of Ananias and Sapphira, okay? And then we see this one between the story of Ananias and Sapphira and the next story. Let's go ahead and just read our, um, our summary, uh, and we'll go on from there. This is Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. It says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So, as we go through this, I want you to remember the context, okay? The last thing that's happened is that Sapphira has dropped dead after Ananias dropped dead, and they went out and buried her body. Then we get this, this is the, the thing that we get. And actually, the next thing that's going to happen, right after this that we just read, is that the apostles are once again going to get arrested by the Jewish leaders. So this is sandwiched between, we had persecution outside the church, trouble inside the church, then we have this summary, and then persecution from outside the church again. So that's the context in which we hear this, but this is what the church is doing. So let's go ahead and uh, hit verse number 12, and we'll just kind of, Dig into this here. Verse 12 again, it says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. So we see that the apostles have the power of the Holy Spirit continuing to work through them. That through their hands, the power of the Holy Spirit's working. We see signs and wonders happening. This is continuing to happen. We've seen this from the beginning. The Spirit, Holy Spirit comes in power, and continuously we're seeing this theme, that the Holy Spirit continues to do these acts through the apostles, these signs and wonders that people are seeing and realizing that the power of God is with the church and with the apostles, right? And then it says, and the church is all in one accord. This is basically the third time we've seen a statement like this. We saw in one accord earlier, and we saw of one mind and then we see again here, one accord. Now, there's an interesting note from the outline of biblical usage, which is, a, uh, I don't know, I found it on, online, okay? So anyway, there's an interesting note about this word, okay? And the Greek word is a compound of two words, meaning to rush along and in unison. So, it's a, so basically it means to rush along in unison, all together. It says this, it says, the image is almost musical, a number of notes are sounded, which, while different, harmonize in pitch and tone, as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master. So the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. I find that to be fascinating, and I, and I love the imagery. You know, we talked in the last... Uh, sermon that I did on about racial reconciliation. And one of the points that we're making is, look, we all, God has made us all diverse and all different, and we come together. And this is saying, look, when we talk about one accord, we're talking about all these different notes making this beautiful music to the Lord. And this idea that, hey, we're all in one accord. In other words, we're all not just moving, we're all rushing forward in unison together. That's what the church is about here. That's what's going on. Moving forward together, acting as one body. And we see this imagery in Scripture, this, the body of Christ working together, all the parts, all these different parts coming together, working together, moving forward. So it says 
that they were in Solomon's porch. And we'll remember, possibly, if you've been here for a while, some of these sermons, we've mentioned Solomon's porch before. Solomon's porch is this area in the temple where the people would meet and be taught by the apostles, okay? These were all the Christians at this point are Jewish people. Every, every one of them at this moment, all these Christ followers are Jewish people. So their normal religious life revolves around the temple. That did not stop when they became believers in Christ. They continued to go to the temple. In fact, it says they went to the temple daily, okay? And they're in this place in the temple called Solomon's Porch, and they're being taught. We know at this point there's at least 5,000 of them, at least 5,000 of them. So Solomon's Porch must be a pretty decent-sized place for them all to be meeting and hearing the teaching of the apostles. I have a couple pictures of some recreations of Solomon's Porch. Here's a picture of a recreation of the temple. And as you see over in the back there, these colonnades, Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Colonnade, it's sometimes called. That's that area. And if you show the next picture we see kind of a recreation of what it might have looked like. You can see how big this area is. You could fit a lot of people in there, and you can see by the design of it that the acoustics of that place, the voice probably would carry pretty well. would have had to, because you're teaching 5,000 people at a time, right? They're all there at once. And so this, is what, this was the life of a Christian in those days. You headed to this place, and you got taught by the apostles, okay? That was, that was what they were doing. So that's where they are, and that's what they're doing. Um, uh, let's get into the next couple of verses and see... What else is going on here in this summary? It says, Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Uh, I find this, these two verses very, very interesting because they seem to be contradictory. It says, None of the rest dared join them, but then it says, Multitudes of people are coming to the Lord. Now, how can both of those things be true? I think what we're seeing here, and there are a number of uh, interpretations or suggested interpretations of who none of the rest were. Maybe it was a particular group of people. You know, there, there's some different things, but I think it works together, that the two work together, that what we're seeing here are two perspectives, those who are repelled and those who are attracted. Okay, when, when the power of Christ is at work, when the church is at work, there are going to be those who are repelled and those who are attracted. There's a couple of verses that came to mind as I was reading this, and, and here they are. The first one is in 1 Corinthians, it's, it's chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Repelling and attracting. Second one's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? So we see these two reactions, right, to the people and the power and the message of Jesus Christ. One, people are drawn to Jesus. They want to find out more. Who is this guy? I see truth here. I'm drawn to it. I want to know what's going on. And to others, they turn away for whatever reason. It says here that they esteemed them. So these people were saying, we recognize the power of God is with these people we recognize that, and yet we won't dare join them. Well, let's not forget what's happened. We had the persecution of the leaders, 
right, of the Jewish leaders against the Christians, against the church, and two people just dropped dead when they were hypocritical. So if you're thinking about it and you're going to dare to join this group, you're going to be a little timid about doing that, right? Because there's some serious things. And in fact, we'll see for the next story that they are arrested again, which means the people probably knew that the leaders really didn't like them and that it was just a matter of time. It was a matter of time before things went down in a bad way again. And yet, it says we have multitudes, multitudes of people following Christ and joining the church. Now, that's not a few people here and a few people here. You're talking about tons of people. Remember, we've been given numbers in the past, 3,000, 5,000. Now we're not even numbering, not even numbering people. We're just saying, look, they're coming on so strong, I can't get a count. Multitudes of people are coming into the church at the same time that, these, that many of these people would not dare join the believers, even though they esteemed them highly and realized that God was with them. So what's the deal? Let's think about this. Let's think about this. We have persecution from the outside. We have Ananias and Sapphira dying because of their hypocrisy on the inside. And yet we have the church extremely healthy. Extremely healthy. Now, we tend to worry. We tend to have fear. We see this law come or that law come. And we start to say, "Uh uh-oh, Christianity as we know it is in big trouble. I want you to think about whether that might be a good thing, but we'll, we'll continue at the as we know it part, okay? But we get worried about it. What happens if persecution comes? What happens if whatever? Well, here's the deal. Persecution was there. People were dying, and yet people were coming in multitudes because it was real. And the reason that people, the reason that the church was so healthy is because the only people who would dare to come to the church were those who were ready to completely sell out, completely surrender their lives to Jesus Christ because they knew that nothing less would work. They knew when they came, it might be jail, it might be death, but this is real and I gotta be a part of it. See, they had to face all of that to become Christians. That's not the way it is now, right? It's starting to be in some places. In Russia, they recently passed a law that said you cannot proselytize. In other words, you can't talk about Jesus, talk about church, invite people to church to anyone, not in your own home, not through any kind of communication, not in any way, unless you're inside the Russian Orthodox Church. Inside that building, you can talk about Jesus. Outside that building, it's against the law. Okay? And you go, ooh, you know, that sounds bad. That could happen here too, by the way. That could eventually happen here. Don't think that we're beyond that. Don't think that we're beyond that. But here's the deal. My guess is the church is going to explode. The church is going to explode because it's going to be healthy. Because it's going to be healthy because the only people who are going to come to it are those who are willing to face persecution to be part of it. And it becomes healthy. In our uh, culture, you can come to church occasionally when you feel like it, show up once in a while and consider yourself to be living the Christian life. That's what, that's what we've built up for ourselves. Super low bar, way down here and said, all you need to do to be a Christian is this little thing here. That's what we've told people because we've been so, so worked up about bringing more people into the church that we've put the bar way down here. Well, Peter's putting the bar up here 
He's like, what'd you say? Did you lie to the Holy Spirit? You, go, you know, that, that's, that's how Peter is, right? He's, he's saying, listen, this is serious stuff. You gotta be real to do this thing. And people are coming in multitudes. And we're saying, no, the bar's down here. Just all you have to do is learn a couple songs to sing on Sunday. And don't worry if you, you know, are really very involved and come kind of when you want to. And the church is dying. I don't know why. But apparently, sales techniques aren't the way to grow the church of Christ. So, here they are. And this is what's happening in the church. I was actually told by a guy, a man who's involved in a church planting effort here in the Portland, Vancouver area. They're trying to plant churches. And he told me when I first came down here, or when I met with him at some point, he said, you know, now people are considering themselves, if they go to church one out of seven weeks, they consider themselves to be a part of the church, a normal part of the church, one out of seven weeks. Now, that's a little bit different. I mean, I'm, I'm not a math major. My wife is a math teacher. I could have asked her. But I think that's a little bit different, one out of every seven weeks and every day in the temple and house to house. So if Acts is telling us what the church is supposed to look like, and our culture has now said, come occasionally when you feel like it, and that's what the Christian life looks like, somebody's wrong. Generally speaking, I'm going with Scripture. That's just me, okay? I'm going to go with Scripture. If Scripture said this is what the church is supposed to look like, that's what I'm going to preach the church is supposed to look like. So, anyway, let's keep moving on. We see, we see these people, we see them facing persecution. We see them facing death and yet coming to Christ in multitudes. I do not want for us to have to be persecuted and to have people dropping dead on Sunday morning before we'll get serious about our faith in Christ. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. We should be able to learn from this and say, we don't want that. We want to be serious about it without having to face all that. But I'll be honest with you, it is coming. It is coming. The days of comfortable Christianity are over. Over. Sitting in, this, in these chairs is going to become a true commitment very, very soon. If it isn't already in this area. Right? So, that's where we're going to be at. Our goal as a church is to be like these believers. Totally sold out, totally committed, totally surrendered to Christ and to truth. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 15. It says, So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Apparently they had couches out on the street, which is pretty cool. Um, but they're bringing all these people out, right? And they're, and, they're, and they're waiting to see Peter just pass by and his shadow just touch them so that they'll be healed. Now, here's where we get into one of our descriptive, prescriptive issues. We've talked about this a number of times. It acts, it is a historical account, so we always have to be asking ourselves, is this passage descriptive, in other words, simply describing what happened, or is it prescriptive, in other words, telling us we should do the same? So with the shadow healing, is this descriptive or prescriptive? Well, here's the deal. Um, there was, there's a guy named Professor uh, Clinton Arnold. He wrote a book or edited a book on Acts. And he tells us that in some ancient folklore, shadows were believed to carry spiritual power. So the, the Greeks and the Jews had some beliefs about shadows that suggested that a person's shadow had a certain kind of power. Cicero talked about if you touch the shadow of a criminal, you could be harmed by it. There's another uh, writer in the ancient world who said, if you do, do you do something violent to the shadow of an animal or a person, you can injure them. So like you're walking by and I'm like, on your shadow, somehow you're going to be hurt by that. That's what they believed, okay? 
The Mishnah, the Jewish Mishnah, warned Jews about passing under the shadow of an Asherah or a corpse, saying that that could make you unclean. Simply the shadow could, okay? There's no evidence, none in Scripture, that Peter condoned any of this folklore, okay? Peter was not saying, come get my shadow, it's got power. That was not what was going on. Now, I do believe that some of these people probably got healed, but not because Peter's shadow had power, because they were trusting in the power of Jesus Christ to heal them, of the risen Christ. And they just were a little bit jacked up, confused about how that worked. But sometimes God looks past some of our confusion, right? We're not always right about everything, and yet he's pretty gracious with us. And so I think some people probably got healed, but that is not for today. That is not prescriptive. If it was, I would be one of the most popular preachers in town because, bro, my shadow, I get like 30, 40 people at a swing, you know? So, you know, that's right. I'll, I'll heal some people. I'll be like, boom, you know? So anyway, you guys are laughing too much. That's not hurt my feelings. No. Anyway, but nevertheless, it shows that these signs, these wonders that were going on, continuously going on. We continue to see them happening, and people are believing them. If we look at the next verse, we see even more so. Verse 16. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So we have all these people who are hearing, hey, the power of God is up in Jerusalem. Let's get up there. Let's bring these sick people. Remember, they said they're laying them on couches, laying them on the ground. These are sick people. These are sick people, and they're bringing them in, and they're being healed. People tormented by unclean spirits. People who were sick, who were dying, they're being healed. God's doing all this healing, all this healing in the church. And I ask myself sometimes, why don't we see that kind of healing in the church today? You want to be sure and check out the next episode as Pastor David answers that question. And before we close today, let me invite you to join us here at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, this Sunday morning. You'll hear the same practical Bible teaching you do here on Contemplate, so come see us. Get easy directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or call us at 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you here next time on Contemplate.